Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Hi, Warren. My question to you is, how will you calculate what the real return is on your investment? If you look at a fact sheet of an ETF, for instance, if the fact sheet shows your return for the last year was 7%, but inflation was 4%, does it mean your real return was only 3%? And what about the 10-year growth average of um, like a 10% return? Should you average inflation over 10 years and also deduct it from your return? And how much does it really matter? Thanks very much for your question. It's actually something we haven't really spoken a lot about on Honest Money is, is inflation and and the impact of inflation on your investments over long periods of time. So, so just to answer your question uh, as to how you calculate a real return on investments, your example of where your investment has delivered a, a growth rate of 7% over the last year and inflation has been 4% over the last last year, you're correct. Then, then your real return would be the difference. In other words, 3%. So, so what that means is when we talk about a real return, we're saying how much has your money grown in actual buying power? How much has it grown faster than inflation over a period of time? And definitely it, it is a very big factor. It's something we should talk about a lot because when you have investments that are growing slower than inflation, so let's say, for example, inflation's growing at 5% a year and your investment is only growing at 2% a year. You might feel like you're not losing any money. You know, your investment has still gone up over a 12-month period, but actually the buying power of your money has gone down. And that's really dangerous for people who are retired, for example, and are living off their capital. So if your goal is to get to financial freedom and to get to the point where you can, you know, generate an income from your capital and that will cover your cost of living, then you need to know that your capital is growing faster than the cost of living is going up. And that's quite a difficult thing to do. So, so I think it is a huge issue and it's something that, uh, that, that doesn't get a lot of attention because we don't get major news headlines or media headlines when inflation goes to 4% and your investments are only growing at 3%. We get major headlines when investments have dropped by 30% or jumped by 30%. But, but unfortunately, inflation is like a slow poison, you know, it just gradually eats away at the buying power of, of money. So I think it is a big issue and it, it really does matter. But I think it's important to know that uh, there are a lot of times where investments won't do better than inflation over a one or a two or a three year period. And that's okay. It's not a problem for that to happen. Uh, what, what is really important is that your investments grow faster than inflation over five, 10 and 15 years. And the assets that do the best uh, against inflation over long periods of time will be things like shares, property companies, uh, and, and sometimes uh, certain kinds of government bonds. The assets that do worst against inflation will always be cash because cash just has a history of tracking inflation almost exactly. Uh, and then you pay tax on the interest that you earn from your, your cash. So, so yes, you know, um, I think it's a great thing to focus on. Make sure that you, that you do know that your investments are, are performing better than inflation over long periods of time. But don't panic when over a one or two year period they, they underperform inflation. Uh, and, and I think make sure that the mix of your assets is right. You know, that, that's really the way to make sure that you beat inflation. In other words, make sure that you've got more 
shares and bonds and property than cash in your portfolio. And you should be, um, if you stay patient and you stay invested, you should be confident that your investments will beat inflation over long periods of time. In South Africa, you can expect uh, to get about three to to five percent a year above inflation from things like shares and property, and as I say, you know, almost nothing above inflation from cash. So, so realistically, that's what you should aim for: five percent a year above inflation when you've got when you've got a portfolio of shares or an exchange traded fund or a unit trust that invests in shares. Hope that helps, and thank you for the question. Warren, it's Jake from Cape Town. Just a quick question. My in-laws have about 500,000 Rand that's in their bank account and they just want to invest it somewhere. Um, they don't need access to the next two years, but they, I, I want them to get some growth. Maybe after two years, they want to access some of it. What's the best vehicle that you'll use for this uh, money? Where should they put that? And um, yes, I, I'm listening at your podcast for the last five years. So probably I should know the answer, but unfortunately I don't. So we'll really appreciate your help so I can guide them to do the right thing. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jake. Um, I think that's actually a really relevant question at the moment. A lot of people with uh, with capital to invest are looking at the returns of the JSE, looking at how little interest they're getting on their cash, and wondering what the ways forward with their with their money. So, so I think for your indoors, you know, I'm just going to make an assumption that they're they're in their kind of late fifties or older. Uh, and if that's the case, then you know, when you're investing money for an uh, indefinite period of time, in other words, when you don't know whether you're going to need some or all of the money from two, three, four, five years onwards, then you need to be very careful of taking too much risk with the money. And in my mind, that means you know taking all the money and putting it in the stock market. Because what you might find is that uh, in two years' time, when they need some of the money, the stock market has fallen, and and so that they need money, and they're selling assets at a time where those assets have lost value, and that's you know that's always a, a, a real problem for people that need to access their money um, at a particular point. So so I think you've got to be careful that you don't have a hundred percent of the money in shares. At the same time. To keep all the money in cash when you know that they probably won't need all the money in two years' time uh, is also not right because I think you know you're going to get probably three or four percent on interest in a in, in a in a year um, on cash and we know that inflation is a bit you know roundabout there so so I think that that's not a great idea either so so most likely I would I would select a balanced type unit trust for them. Uh, and and make sure that they've got at least about half of the money uh, that, that's in that unit trust is invested in shares, and then the balance can be split between uh, cash, property companies, and and bonds. Uh, you know, over time that 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 should do quite well. That should give you so, sort of three to five percent above inflation in the long term. But in the in the short term, it can be very volatile. And what we're hoping there is that you know the, the diversification of the investment makes sense that uh, it protects them. When when markets are falling, if they need money, and if that is the case, um, I would I would definitely advise them not to take all the money in one shot. So in two years' time, if they need some money, rather tell them to draw the money, you know, in a month or you know every month or every quarter or every six months, so that you you do the opposite of phasing an investment in. You you phase the investment out here, so that you can spread out the effects of any big volatility in stock markets. Uh, and I probably would add a bit of an offshore allocation to that as well. So, so most likely I would choose two unit trusts. You know, one that's got around about half to seventy-five percent in a balanced fund, and then the other bit, uh, you know, the other half or other quarter, d- depending on their risk, uh, in a in a rand-based global fund. You know, a global feeder fund. 
And, you know, you can choose, a, you know, a, a really good, strong, diversified index tracking unit trust, for example. You don't need to go into an active fund. Uh, and, and I might do the same for the offshore as well. Just a strong, you know, um, a feeder fund that invests in global global markets as well. That gives you lots of diversification, a good RAND hedge if the RAND does weaken in the future, but but also helps, uh, you know, allocate money to markets that we can't invest in in South Africa. Thanks for the question. I hope that helps. Hi, I have no short-term debt and only have a home mortgage bond to pay. I have very little saved on my emergency fund. Is it better I first save more on my emergency fund or should I first max my tax-free savings account? Gee, that's a brilliant question. I think, uh, you know, if you're looking at uh, someone who's got a home loan um, and no other debt and and then, you know, trying to decide whether to save in a tax-free savings or in your emergency fund, there are a few different kinds of levers that you can pull with your, your financial planning here that are important to understand. And then you need to make the right decision that suits you. So the first thing with your home loan, uh, you know, if you're a very disciplined saver and a, and a very diff- disciplined person with money just in general, then I've, I find that, you know, paying extra money into a home loan is a great way to to actually build up an emergency fund. So it's very important uh, before you do that to know that your home loan is an access fund. In other words, uh, sorry, an access bond. In other words, that you can take money in uh, and pay extra money into the bond and draw it out if you need to. And it's worth testing that before before you make that your you know your place uh, um, for for your emergency fund. But you know maybe just take five hundred rand extra, put it into the the bond, wait a few days, and see if you can draw that five hundred rand out. If you can draw it out quickly um, and and without any penalties or any any other nonsense, then, then I think that that's the the best place possible for for someone who who needs an emergency fund who has a home loan because you know over time the the interest that you pay on a home loan is always much higher than the interest that you will earn on cash in your you know in a money market account or something like that so for me you know when i have a bond i always make sure that i i pay a lot more money into the bond than i need to and i always make sure it's an access bond and then that's what i use for for my emergency fund and obviously, um, you know, I, I guess it goes without saying, but it's important just to remind everybody, if you have a home loan and you have no other debt, it doesn't mean that you should take 20 years to pay off your home loan. You should always try and pay a bit of extra money into that home loan every month and try and pay it off as fast as possible. You know, at the, at the point of financial freedom, we need to be debt free. Uh, if if we look at the other parts of your questions there, so so do you then build up your emergency fund first or do you build up your tax-free uh, I, I always think you want to make sure that you've covered your emergency fund as fast as possible. The, the reason for that is that, you know, if something happens, let's say, you know, we, we've learned with COVID, you know, you could lose your job tomorrow and and you don't have an emergency fund, then you might need to sell your tax-free savings account if that's what you've been doing with the extra money at the worst possible time where markets are falling and then you're selling your your, your tax-free savings, which means you can't um, take the money out and put it back in again. So you've also lost that lifetime access to, to the money that you draw from your tax-free. So, so to me, uh, before I start investing, I always want to make sure that I've got my emergency fund covered. And just as a reminder for everybody, emergency fund should be about three to six months worth of your expenses. And if it's not going to be saved in your access bond, if you don't have such a thing, then put it in a money market account, something that you can access very quickly, very easily, and without any fees or penalties. And I think once you've got your emergency fund saved, then it definitely makes all the sense in the world 
to start, um, you know, going into your emergent, sorry, adding money into your tax-free savings and doing that as as fast as you possibly can. R- remember that we can't do more than thirty-six thousand rand per person per year, or, or three thousand rand a month if you want to do a debit order. So, you know, try and get to that number as fast as possible as well. But uh, but in the meantime. Well done on being debt free and and definitely try and store a bit of extra money in the in the home loan and then get going on the tax free. All the best with that plan and thanks very much for your question. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon. <laughs>